that just doesn't appeal to me at all. And the video, oh, forget the video. I can't stand it. It's that is my least favorite Prince video of all time. Even worse than Two Are in Love. <laughs> <laughs> and if anyone's seen that, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Welcome to the Peach and Black Podcast, your central place to hear unofficial news, reviews, trivia, and intelligent discussion on all things happening in the Prince world, featuring the hosts, MC. You know, it's got all those classic Prince elements. Captain. Why wouldn't you just record as much as you could? Player. It's just like a story chest of ideas. Toe Jam. Either version. I love both versions. And other special guests. Hi, this is Larry Graham, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hi, this is Ricky Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hey, everybody, this is St. Paul Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Peach and Black podcast for part two of our 1999 album review. Finally. Yes, after much, much deliberation and... Tell me if I'm wrong, this is the fourth or fifth time we are attempting to record this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. We did record this a few days after we recorded part one, like... October, November last year? Well, not only uh, that, Captain, but there's there's more to the story. We've actually recorded this episode a number of times. So it's not only that we've attempted to record it, yeah. but we've actually had the full show ready to go in due to some... Your great laptop. <laughs> due to some technical difficulties and frustrations, we've had to delay the release of this show. But finally, we've got, we got the four Peach and Black guys together. And, uh, and part two, part two, part two. Part two, you're listening to it. So the first episode or the first part of our 1999 album review went up to... DMSR. The end of DMSR. And now we're going to go into side three of the vinyl version. And of course, the <laughs> next track on your normal CD or uh, MP3 digital audio file chronology would be track number six, Automatic. So let's start the review off by talking about the song Automatic and leading our review off is Toe Jam. Oh, okay. This is going to be tough. (laughs) All right. This is one of my favorite songs ever, just like 1999. I said that was... What? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) It's the six months waiting to review this episode. It's got Toe Jam so spirited. No, I said this the last three times we recorded this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you said it about a different song each time, so... I said this was one of. I didn't say it was the. It was one of my one favorite of. songs. Yeah. I remember listening to this song probably about the age of 17 or 18 and getting to the end and going, that was pretty cool. I'll listen to that again and just skip, skip, skip back and forth. I must have listened to it eight or nine times in a row. And every time it was just like, you know, part of my brain was just exploding going, this is amazing. It's synth heaven. And I love the way the synths are always floating around the fourth note of the scale, the third note of the scale, and the second note of the scale. So it's really in that, is it major, is it minor, is it 
sus. That's what I like about it. You've got the, the seesaw synth that dun, 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 dun. you've got that one. Uh, you've got the little chromatic one. Dun, 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 dun. And then you've got those long synth held, those long synth ones are just holding, slowly descending. So it's all playing around that sus part of the scale. Just makes it really, it sounds like the whole thing's just sort of hanging. The lindrum and the bass are just really hypnotic. They hardly change the whole way through. And it's just such a groove song. And I love the, the haze, at, you know, at the end of each um, verse going into the chorus, you hear this big hey. And then it goes into the chorus. AUTOMATIC is sort of the precursor to the song Computer Blue. Sort of a theme he had going on there about, you know, computers and artificial intelligence and programming people for love and all this sort of thing. In the verses, he's got his full vocals, doubled vocals. The whole song's pretty full. At 240, you've got an extra note added in the synth. You've got a flat seven, which just makes it even more sus. And I've got there, it's like uh, ear tinnitus. You know, you just see this, this note just, just holding there the whole time, which is cool. Uh, you've got a breakdown at 3 minutes 30, and then it starts to build up again. From 4 minutes to about 5.53, uh, you've got this section, which I'm, I'm calling the foreplay section. The guitar starts to double the bass, and you've got more of these sort of what I'm calling Ghostbuster synths going through. <laughs> and you've got all this sort of talking, you know, running around left left side, right side, and it's all this sort of dark foreplay kind of talk. And, and you've got the lyric, you know, so suddenly out of nowhere, that don't torture me now. And you hear these sore sounds and you think, oh, what's going on here? This is getting a bit dark. And, and then you hear this little funny little voice going, stop the music, baby. And it's like, oh, we're into dark territory now. And um, the stop the music, baby part always reminds me of that, the YMCA song. Um, not YMCA. What is it? Village people. You can't stop the music. Uh, you can't stop the, the torture that's going on. <laughs> but there's a really cool line, which is just classic Prince line. Kind of funny. He's trying to chat this woman up, but then he starts talking about how good he is himself. He's like, uh, no one else... No one else can understand you except me kind of thing. So it's like he's complimenting her, but he's also complimenting himself. You know, you're too complex. Only I can understand you. Um, and then it gets even darker. It gets six minutes, 20. Um, you get the fasten your seatbelts and you get this flicking sound. Flick, flick, flick. And you hear the plane going up. The plane goes off. I think, wow, we're going to the stratosphere in this song. Something, something happens at 650. It looks like a scribble. I think it's foreplay. Um, <laughs> Is it foreplay, Tojo? It might be more foreplay. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably more foreplay. Uh, it's probably gone to, into the next the next level though of foreplay. <laughs> <laughs> the next bass. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> going to have to torture you now. This part, anything, and then the guitar squeals out this big squealing noise. And again, it's just getting darker and darker. And you know, people start crying. You hear all this crying, and you just think this is just insane. This song. This is just for our listeners. Toe Jam's not describing a movie. He's talking about a song. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's it's so crazy. I can't think of words to describe this thing. Um, Cinematic. It is. It's, it's atmospheric. It's just the whole thing's this big dream song of you know him having this big crazy sex dream of some sort. And it's just so groovy the whole way through. The, just relentless groove all the way through. 7.52, you get a big turnaround that sort of closes the section off. Da, 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 da. And the plane starts going down. And um, you think, oh, yeah, here we go. It's going to start fading out. But it keeps going. 8 minutes 20, you've got bass solos going on. Uh, 8.43, the rhythm picks up again. You've got this real funky bass part. And slowly again, the plane goes down and it starts to fade up. And then the plane goes up again and it holds this big crazy synth note to finish off. And it's just such an atmospheric song. It's classic 1982. It's like, um, it's very similar to DMSR in the sense that it's a big, long funk, Lindrum funk song. But this one, I think, is more artistic. It's not just a party jam. There's some deep stuff going on there musically and thematically. Um, and I just think it's it's such a brilliant song. It's so hypnotic, and I think this is probably my second favorite song on the album and one of my favorite songs of all time. Incredible. And I have to ask you, because I always do, when you say one of 
your favorites one of not the one of your favorite songs of on any time. given day it could be my favorite song but you're talking about prince songs or are you yeah, talking no, just I'm in talking general in general okay yeah. wow if someone says what are your favorite songs of all time this would be in in within the first five or six that i mentioned gee there's a yeah. lot of music out there and that's um that's high praise it's awesome. It's Let's it's see. atmosphere. It's I can't describe it. It's just all atmosphere and and funk, and you can't beat that. And foreplay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that too. And you can beat that. But speaking of that, um, player, what are your thoughts? Do you agree with Tojan? Yeah, I do agree. It's a really cool song. I really like the video for this with the cop hat and the bondage. It's got it all. The song itself, again, is nasty, futuristic computer funk, very dark, like Tojem said, and haunting, especially that deep synth line, the dun, 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 I imagine like Claire Fisher Orchestra doing that line, that'd be really cool. There's one high-pitched synth chord that's underlined during the chorus, which is a bit of a Minneapolis sound hallmark. The guitar solo is almost screaming or crying in parts, but the overall feeling I get from this is a bit cold and mechanical, but in a good way, and I definitely see it as a precursor to Computer Blue, like Tojem said on the next album. Yeah, it's really sort of cold and funky i really like this song too okay yes player i feel very similar to you it's (laughs) one of the more interesting reviews we've done in a while because toe jam i think mentioned foreplay about eight times and one of the first words (laughs) i think you've mentioned it more than me now one of the (laughs) (laughs) automatic from my point of view it is a nasty filthy snm inspired sounding track and it is really really hypnotic i think toe jam was the first person to use that word really puts me into a trance-like state when I listen to it. And that's a combination of everything musical, mainly. I mean, he's talking about a lot of salacious material, but really it's the combination of the tight programming and the bass parts. And then that synth, again, Jam said it was synth heaven. And to me, it's like synth sex heaven. It's a weird listen because it's not the type of thing you play at a party. Well, you might, but... <laughs> what sort of parties are you going to? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't play it over dinner, let me put it that way. And it's a very, very dark song from the point of view of After Hours. That's probably the best way I, des- I describe it. This is Prince's After Hours, uh, low down and dirty and just freaky ass funk. But it's not funk in your traditional sense. It, it's just creepy. It's an eerie, electro, spooky 1982, spooky electric type jam. And it goes for quite a while, eight or nine minutes and the whole time is it's really just a groove like it doesn't change up that much but yet i can't turn away you know i I keep listening to it and it's a really enjoyable piece of music especially after the first few tracks on this album that are mega pop hits it's cool to see the other side of the coin in other words the multi-dimensional artist that prince is you know he can pull out the pop rock hits he can pull out the big funk numbers he can put out dmsi the big party numbers and then right within the middle of this album there's this trippy nasty sexual workout jam that just really goes for um it goes completely over the top i think so yeah this is a great song and with that let's hand it over to captain to give us his thoughts i'm last so after all these three people saying how great it is guess what i'm gonna say the opposite Uh, i'm gonna shoot you down (laughs) better watch out you don't mess around with this song Uh, just like song. I just don't <laughs> like this song. <laughs> I mean, it's the longest track on the album. 
almost nine and a half minutes. Of and, bliss. Uh, there was a song in part one, MC said, oh, this song should be edited. This song should be edited. If there's any song on this album which should be I'll cut down... I'll edit you out of this. I'm going to edit you out of this review if you don't. <laughs> if there's any track on this album which should have been cut down to like three minutes, it's this one. It's just... Oh, I don't like it. That's actually the truth, guys. Um, I wasn't happy with Captain's review last time, so... We have you to just deleted again. the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's where that file went. Oh, well, that makes perfect sense, though, Jam. That's totally forgivable. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's a Lindrum machine showpiece like so many other tracks on this album, but there's so many things I don't like. I mean, those, are high, those high-pitched synths, they just grate on my ears. It's just like nails on a blackboard to me. Wow. It's, it is just annoying actually captain i think i've figured it out that little chipmunk noise in the back of the in the background of the song that says stop the music baby that's you isn't it (laughs) (laughs) i do like the organ chord that he holds during the chorus it's just that one chord but yeah i'm over this track about three minutes in i mean mc said there's not much variation it's after about three minutes it's just the same thing goes over and over and over for nine and a half minutes this song is like three times as long as it should be, I think. But there's, I forgot much to say. It's not the most skippable, but I do skip this track a fair bit. This song, it's just that really obvious, overt, sexual, like, topic. I'm just not a fan of that. It just seems like it's, like, a shock tactic. Oh, look at me, I'm Prince, I'm the, I'm the new guy, I'm doing obscene things. And it just doesn't appeal to me at all. And the video, oh, forget the video. I can't stand it. It's, that is my least favorite Prince video of all time. Even worse than Two Are In Love. <laughs> <laughs> and if anyone's seen that, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I really don't like this video. And the song is, I mean, I, I don't think it's a bad song. I just don't like it. That's Obviously, com- because three people just said they really like it. So. <laughs> and, and, that's, that's, and that's perfectly fine, Captain. Yeah. That's perfectly fine. Some You're- people like a bit of pain, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> it's painful enough just listening to this song without anything else. <laughs> next, moving on. Yeah, moving on to the next track. It is, of course, track number seven Something in the Water Does Not Compute. I'll be very keen to hear what Captain says about this, but we're not going to start off with him. We'll take it to... or hand good, it to... Good idea. We'll hand it to Player to give us his thoughts. Player, what do you think about this? Okay, the thing I got down on my notes here is the drum programming. Who does that, as MC says? The beat and the hi-hat, it's manic and relentless. The computer theme noises here are the beginnings of what's yet to come on tracks like Computer Blue. Sonically, this is very isolated and cold sounding, just like the last track. But I really like this track a lot. There's a lot of tension here, both lyrically and musically, which is interesting considering there's no guitar or even bass from what I can hear. It's very sort of buried in the mix, if there is any. This is another one of my favorites on this album. It's a really cool song. And the fact that he uh, dug it up recently and sort of reworked it, really cool as well. All right. Toe Jam, what are your thoughts on Something in the Water? Same word again, atmosphere. This is like Prince in crazy mode. He's he's flipped. I agree with Player. I love the programming, the, the really fast hi-hat, that and then you've just got this big like slap back delay on the on the kick drum and the um snare drum and the claps as well. And his vocals have got that slap back delay as well, which is really cool. You got that randomizer sound going all the way through it again, that, that com- sort of computer theme going on. Again, it's sort of plug it's sort of plugging into that programming thing of, you know, people being programmed and, and so the women are like programmed to treat him badly. 
uh, bloody women treating him badly. Um, the vocals have this dead effect to it. Uh, not many highs. I've, I've got the word phono written down here. Don't really know what, how you describe that sound, the way it's recorded, but it just sounds kind of deadpan to me. And it sounds like he's about to cry the whole way through. 138, the, the hi-hats stop. It's a bit of a breakdown. And then he comes in with the vocals and this big, massive scream. And the hi-hats start straight away when he screams. That starts up again. And then they just stop and they come in again. It's like the whole thing's kind of breaking down. His whole brain's breaking down. 224, more amazing vocals. I think from 224 up until about 240, the vocals are just amazing. Probably one of the best screams ever he's ever done. He just starts from nowhere and then just builds it up. And this big, massive scream. Great stuff. And, uh, you know, then he gets into a bit of the old wife beating. Bitch slaps the microphone. You hear it falling on the ground. It's like, it's... I mean, it's it's just atmosphere. It's like he he's was, taking he was it. Pre- he was just preparing for the movie he was planning in his brain. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you get that. I mean, you do get that. It's all vis- it's all visual, and it's all uh, it's like his brain's just overloading, and he doesn't know how to control it. That's that's the impression hmm. I get. At three ten, it starts to become like this big circle. I've re- I've drawn a circle, and I think that means. It's become circular, but I don't know. I forgot what I meant by that. <laughs> you could have just been um, doodling. <laughs> yeah, what did I mean? I did. I wrote that. I'm, it meant something. So three ten, something interesting happens. I think it's the um, that randomizer starts going and just rolling and rolling with that. So yeah, this is just a really interesting song. I often say that there's a song on every album that sounds like it's recorded in a dream or dreamt up. I think there's like the whole album's like that for me. But this song especially uh, is like a nightmare. You know, he's had this crazy nightmare and he's got this feeling and he's just put it on wax straight away. So it's a great song. It's not something you can, you can just put on though and listen to though. You've got to be in the right mood. See, I remember when we recorded Rave many, many moons ago. Ah, and you said that was one of that. your first albums that you got. Yeah. There's no point to what I'm saying. I just remember you saying that. <laughs> well, actually, there is a bit of a link. I, I've always seen a bit of a link between the drum programming of this song into well, Baby I'm the, a Star into yeah. Strange But True. They've, they've got that similar thing where they've got this something. In, in this one in Baby on the Star, it's the hi-hats going chick 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 In um, Strange But True, it's this weird, that weird percussive like little keyboard sound. chick 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 And then you've got this big boom, cha boom. Boom, boom. That happens in those three songs. So there's kind of a link between those three songs mm. with the programming. And well, don't forget, Rave was the return of the Lynn drum as well. Yeah, I don't think After. there's Lynn on yeah on that song though. Well, as as you were saying that, Toe Jam, the progression of the programming between something in the water and Baby I'm a Star. While listening to your thoughts of this song, I was thinking of the similarities in the programming between something. I'm sorry, and water it's not. And I would not, die for you. Yeah, I. I oh, is yeah, that that's what you what meant? It was. That's what oh, I meant. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I, I was the, the minute you did that. <laughs> I was thinking I would die for you for sure just because that elements in there. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as far as a pure piece of magic, this is this is I think as good as it gets on a, on a Prince album. Perfect four minutes of atmosphere and a feeling. It's so unsettling. It sounds like a really strange combination musically of like imagine Doctor Jekyll programming part I of. I thought you were going to say Doctor Who. <laughs> Dr. Fink, but no, like a Dr. Jekyll programming part of this song and then Mr. Hyde coming in to, to play around with it and then, you know, Jekyll coming back in and, and fixing it up and then Hyde having a go. And it's like this this tug of war between emotions. And I think Tojam alluded a little bit to it by saying Prince sounds like he's about to explode, like he can't contain the feeling and the emotion. And more than anything, this is a song to me about just being absolutely confused with everything that's going on and trying to find some meaning in what's happening. And obviously Prince himself gets pretty impassioned on the vocals, which is great to hear. You've got those computer, those really early 80s clunky computer sounds and combine those with with the eerie synth patterns and you've got a really dramatic 
sounding song that's very much of its era. Like this is. It's, uh, but it's so uh, funny Captain. to say. It's so funny to say that you know, oh, they clunky sounds in early eighties. Yeah. You know, when this came out, it would have been the most futuristic sounding thing you've ever heard. That's true. And that now is true. we're like, oh, isn't it quaint and funny? <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds like that. It reminds me of all the like computer geek comedies of uh, movies that were around that time. You know, like Weird Science and all that kind of stuff. But the song itself isn't as comedic as those films. It's it's much more macabre and understated and I've mentioned Prince's impassioned vocals, but I really believe the character in the story in this song. This is one of the rare songs where it's strange. It's a strange listen for me because often when I listen to Prince's music, the Prince persona comes out to the fore. And I always, Mm. or or very often, I think of, you know, my impression of Prince as an artist when I listen to his music. This one's a little bit different. Like, yes, it contains all the Prince elements, the Prince screams, the Prince sound, but it actually sounds like a different person. Like, it doesn't sound like him. It sounds like he's possessed by some strange spirit that's telling this great dark story and he's using the metaphor of you know there must be something in the water supply you know there must be something in your drink because you know you're crazy baby and <laughs> so <laughs> i just think it's it's a really interesting piece of music and really striking to listen to and in the live versions like incredible live variations he's done over the years from piano and voice to hard heavy guitar rock to typical 80s prince funk versions really a dynamic song in that aspect that he's taken it down different parts so that's really cool as well i can't believe no one's mentioned what keeps it all together though what keeps it hanging together is those big long sustained chords and with the same sound from little red corvette just that it's like it's like slow breathing yeah yeah, it just it keeps it all all this crazy stuff hanging together. MC just said a whole bunch of things which I could comment on, but as we've said a million times, that's a whole other show. <laughs> we could do a whole show about Prince and the Prince persona, and which tracks show this or that, and which ones are believable and which ones aren't. And that's we will whole, we will do that's that. That's a whole other topic. We will that's do a that. Really interesting topic, I think. For sure. Because this song. Oh, hey, this is my review. Yes, it is. But, Go ahead, Captain. But, but but I won't start it yet. I'll just say this, because this song and the one before it, you get that, you know, this is the Prince persona, but then it's like, yeah, but how much of it is him? And I think a song like Automatic is a fair bit of him, even though I do think the song is just uh, not 100%, but it can just be, you know, this is a, a, a shocking song for the sake of having a shocking song. But I think a lot of the stuff is, you know, it's straight out of his brain. Anyway, this is what I've got to say about Something in the Water. Like the previous track, I'm not a big fan of this track either, to be honest. I just don't think there's a lot to it. There's this relentless machine-like drumbeat, annoying droning synths playing these minor chords, like trying to create this atmosphere, but this song, I don't think he gets there as close as he could have. I think MC said this song sounds confused, like Prince is confused. I do get that, because those drums, that just that confuses me. It's just constant you know it just keeps going but i've said this about one or two tracks before and it it seems like he had this idea you know it's it's an idea in search of a song but he doesn't quite get there like sometimes he can really you know articulate what he wants into a song but i think this one doesn't get all the way there it it just doesn't go anywhere i think it's got the, the same chords all the way through there's no change there's is there a bridge i don't think there's even a bridge it's just the same all the way even the chorus, it's the same as the verses. It's just so boring. And then you've got this the ultra bored, you know, oh, I could do this in my sleep. In fact, I probably did vocal delivery. Yeah, that just that annoys don't, me. Don't you think that's for effect? Because you've, you've made this yeah. sort of... I don't know. Because think it, about it. it if, 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 
because if if Prince sang every song the way you wanted him to, with like gusto and energy and emotion, it would sound <laughs> every ridiculous. Song was like every song was "My Name Is Prince." <laughs> <laughs> it's like imagine like sometimes t- sometimes it snows in April, sung <laughs> like "My Name Is Prince." Now that is a song. Think about that. <laughs> sometimes it snows. It snows in April. <laughs> Oh, let's just wait for those remasters, huh? Uh, <laughs> that would be great. So, oh, I don't know if it's for effect. It probably is, but it's not believable to me. And so then, because I don't believe it, then I just take it on you know, face value what I'm hearing, and that sounds like boring. But that's that. But for me, the track's only saving grace. ToeJam said the insane screams, 2.30 to 2.45, I'll give him that. They are unbelievable. The best thing I can say about this song, when he came to Australia in 2012, and it was just him backed by, who was playing the piano? Cassandra O'Neill. Cassandra. Cassandra. That was really good, because what I find the annoying parts, which is the constant drums and the synths, that was absent. And it was just the piano and the vocal. And I thought that the song was a whole lot better for it. And I think he... Did he release that version? Did he release a video of that I, Sydney I think, version? I think, I think he they might did, have, eh? Yeah, I think they did release a video in some form, in some... I think it was a video it or was audio. A, I don't was, know. I believe it was a video from Melbourne, from the last... It was. It oh, was, it was Melbourne. Yeah, the last show of the tour and... Oh, yes, it they was. They released it, was it on Melbourne. Facebook for yep. memory, something like that, yeah. Go and find that if you can find it because I think that is the superior version of this track. Well, speaking of piano and vocal, nothing to do with this 99 album review how incredible would it be for prince to do a one-man show tour one day like literally how many times have we brought this up though yeah possibly (laughs) i'm just wondering we have pleaded to him you know how much money could you save if you just came with you and you know a very small entourage you know keep it under like 20 people if that's possible you don't need an entourage if you're doing a, 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 oh, a voice and piano tour. I'm, I mean, like look, him just sitting down at a grand piano in, in a theater and just playing for two hours. That would but be amazing. He's not coming without his personal chef and his hairdresser and, you know, the whole the whole band. You know, they're all coming whether they're going to do anything or not because that's how he rolls. We've said <laughs> this a bunch of times. You know, he could just turn up absolute minimal cost to him and still charge, you know, normal ticket prices because people will pay that. Hmm. just to see him but again it just doesn't happen (laughs) it probably doesn't happen because we said we want it to happen that's usually the way it happens that is very true well with that every man is free to do what they want and speaking of free that is of course the title of the next song this is track number eight off 1999 the album and the song of course is free Free. Free. Not the Larry Graham. (laughs) It's not Larry Graham. No, it's not the it's not the nineteen ninety eight NBC morning TV version. (laughs) Toe Jam, take it away. This is a nice welcome break, I think, because this album is so heavy and dense. There's so much going on that I think after seven of these big, long funk tracks, you do need a little bit of a wind down. And I think this does a nice little job of it. I like the song. I, I, I can never quite pick, though. Is he being cynical? 
is he being cheesy tongue-in-cheek or is he authentic? And I think it's kind of a combination of the three. I can never quite pick it because it is kind of cheesy song. I always thought it was a, a sincere attempt. Yeah, I, I don't dispute that. But I think it's a sincere attempt, but it's the Prince persona, so he kind of cheeses it up a bit, mm. which is kind of weird. He starts with the heartbeat and the marching and, and the street sounds, nice little you know, ambient effects. And the piano, listen, you know, it's obviously him playing the piano all the way, all the way through, I, I suspect. And it's got that chorus effect on it, which is a real classic early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. Whenever they have a piano, it's always got this chorus effect on it. It sounds like it's from a musical. I can imagine the song in a musical, a Disney musical or a Broadway show or something. It's, it's very, got that classic, like, big descending bass line through the chords. Uh, he's got a lyric there about the lonely monster, which there's a lot of, there's a few references in the song about, in the album about, about being lonely. And it kind of reminds me of the spooky electric theme that he came up with a few years later. Don't like spooky electric, take control of you, all this sort of thing. I love the bridge, the music in the bridge. It just sort of goes in a different direction again with the soldiers marching and you hear the snare drums picking up. It's almost a little bit nursery rhyme in a good way. Towards the end, Wendy and Lisa join in on the chorus in the background and you get Prince singing this real raw ad-libbed chorus and, and he pushes his vocals a bit, pulls, pushes and pulls with his vocals. And I like the outro as well from four minutes. It's a nicely arranged outro, instrumental mainly. You've got some ooze going on. Um, and there's some nice little interesting guitar runs through these interesting chords going on. And I like the way it just finishes as well, fades out with the keys just sort of playing this circular little little line. And it reminds me a bit of the Wonder Years, that, that sort of bit. Uh, and it's almost like an ice cream van to finish off. That's a nice little segue song, I think. There's always been a bit of controversy in the Prince community about whether Moonbeam levels may have fit better here. Having never heard Moonbeam levels, I won't comment. But it is an interesting one because if you had to pick one song in the Howl album that, that sort of is a bit potentially skippable, this is probably it. But having said that, I'm not going to say it is because it's a good song. Okay, player, what are your thoughts? Uh, I got this down as semi-quasi-ballad because it's not exactly a love song, but you could look at it as a love song in a certain aspect. But the way I look at the song is it's about appreciating freedom in a slow tempo song. The things like the military marching sounding effects is what makes me think it's not designed to be a love song as such. But then again, I could be wrong. It's a nice little anthemic tune, neither good nor bad for what it is. But for me, this is the skipper of the album. You know, I don't know if... How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore would be better suited here. But even then, like, that song doesn't sort of fit in the 99 sort of sound. Because, you know, the 99 sounds kind of, like, cold and electronic. And How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore is really raw and bluesy and sort of more organic sounding. And it's just, you know, the piano. But I don't know if that would work as a better ballad here. I'm not too sure. But, yeah, it's an okay song. I just think it's a weird sort of song. But I don't know what he's sort of trying to achieve with the song, what sort of message he's trying to portray I don't know. Well, one person that might be able to decipher that is Captain. Is there a message in the song, Captain? I think this could be like an early... It's, it's a precursor to something like America. It's got that same like patriotic, that sort of vibe. Totally different style of song, but it's got that sentiment behind it, I think. But again, not exactly the same. But I think he was actually quite patriotic like in his early days. Early on, yeah. You reckon? Yeah, and he seems to he's drifted from that a big way, I think. So, this song, this is free. We start off with the great sound effects of marching soldiers because who knows what that sounds like. And there's waves. Why are there waves? Are they marching in the waves? I don't understand. Did he just get confused with the sound effects button? Why are there soldiers marching at the same time you can hear like these waves washing over? Does anyone know what is that supposed to be? I think it's supposed to be wind. Yeah, or like... It sounds like waves. I don't hear it as waves. Oh, I listened to it a few times on headphones, and I'm like, and I never really noticed it before. And I'm like, that sounds like waves. I didn't understand that. That's probably why. Could be wind. 
<laughs> I do like this song. After the last two songs, which I don't like that much, I'm actually glad to hear this, even though it's far from the best track on the album. I like it after the last two tracks. It's a well-written track. It's This is very well realised. I think this is what he wanted to do. I like the verses. I like the chorus. I love the bass line that comes in in verse 2. I like the bridge. I, I like it all. 255, it all kicks off with that soaring guitar note and the great passionate vocals. And everyone knows I love it when he pushes his vocals to the absolute limit. And, oh, for my money, 258 to 342 is probably the best, I'll say, the best vocal performance on this entire album. That 44 seconds, oh, it's excellent. 346, he whispers, I'm free. Uh-huh. That nice little piano outro. Uh, I like this song. I used to skip it. Now I skip different tracks on this album. So, you know, people change. Music's still the same, but you just like different songs, you know, years later. I used to skip free all the time, and now I like it. And now I skip automatic, something in the water, other songs. So, who knows? The end. Well, I used to skip this song, Shock Horror, back, mm. in, the, back in the early days when I used to listen to this album. Yeah, me too. Or, or I'd start listening to it and I'd continue listening to it, but just in the background. I'd always not really pay attention to, to the song. And I actually used to think it came across a bit lame. And the reason I did that, I've got this strange thing where... When I listen to to something that, like a protest song or a song that's socially conscious or political in nature in any in any way, shape or form, I find it difficult to believe if it's produced or recorded by someone who's relatively young. I don't know why. I know it probably makes no sense, but I just have this idea in my head. And That's not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> yeah, and I, I just have this idea in my head that everyone's entitled to their opinion, but it seems to me that... You well, need to go you, and experience the world, son. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're young. What do you young kids know? Yeah, that's basically the way I used to feel when I was young, ironically. Like, <laughs> not that I'm old, but, you know, when I when I was just a kid listening to this stuff. And now that I'm older, I feel like, if anything, the younger the person, the more weight it has in a funny kind of way. Because if someone who's quite early, you know, producing music or producing a work of art quite early on in their career is recognizing these sorts of themes, whether they be political or or um, social commentary type piece of work, I think that's pretty profound. Now, again, listening to your thoughts, Captain, I identified with some of, of what you were saying as well. So it's, it's always been a song that I am conflicted about. But the one thing that came through most recently when I was listening to it was that I found it strangely deep lyrically. If you just read the lyrics as text on a page, imagine you've never heard the music before. The words are actually really powerful. It's really powerful lyricism. And it's really moving. At least I was incredibly moved when I read the lyrics on their own. Then listening to the delivery of the song from a musical standpoint, I won't say it loses its power, but it just changes. The, it the whole, it up a bit. Yeah, the whole delivery becomes a little bit different. It's so, a little bit musical. That's, it's like, <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, He's got this deep mu- thing, but then he makes it a bit Broadway musical. Yeah, kind of. So it's the words on a page are really profound and hard hitting. And then when they're converted into a musical form, it becomes more like an, of an anthem. And that's fine. It's perfectly fine. I mean, that's what music does. It changes the work from, you know, you can't even compare something that you read to something you listen to. So are you saying it could have been executed better or you couldn't avoid it changing? when? You- yeah, I, I think you can't avoid it changing. I think it doesn't matter what you turn this the lyrics into that they're gonna they're never gonna be as pure as they would have been 
because the, the yeah. perfect example of lyrics on a page and then different thing when you listen to the song. Exactly. Graffiti bridge. <laughs> lyrics on the page as a con- now as a concept. Graffiti bridge. It does make sense. <laughs> I was not expecting you to say no, that. No, I hear what you're saying there. Really, I agree. No, 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 I do. Thing, I do. Yeah. The lyrics on a page for graffiti bridge. As a concept, you know, people are looking for something, blah, 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 that's fine. Mm, mm. But then horribly executed into a, into a musical song. Yeah, kind And, and then a, a very long music video for like 85 minutes. But, um, <laughs> that's, that's kind of actually, you've summed it up quite nicely. That's a good comparison, <laughs> the more I think about it, yeah. I'm surprised you mentioned Graffiti Bridge, but yeah, it's it's a similar kind of effect. So, look, Free the Song, to me, has this anthemic quality musically, and although it doesn't come across as lame as, as I thought it did when I was a younger listener, there's still an element of, it's almost like a show tune in parts. And then in other parts, it becomes really powerful. And that's the dichotomy in the song, is sometimes it sounds tongue-in-cheek and, and a bit innocent, in a way. And, and then at other times, when especially when those background vocals come in and the, it sounds like a, like a choir in the background is singing the chorus, it really becomes quite powerful. And, you know, underneath you've got those little trinklets of piano and, and some nice chords underneath this great wall of sound and really great guitar playing as well. I think the guitar playing is really effective. Mm. Really the first example that I can think of in Prince's career up until that point where his guitar was played in a typical, you know, rock god guitar solo moment type of fashion. I can't think of any other song before Free in his discography where... Oh, there'd have to be something on Controversy. Where the, no, yeah, there's, I, that, there's that big feedback section in Controversy. Yeah, but I'm talking, but yeah, I'm talking like, solo, yeah. Yeah. I'm talking like, you know, big rock solo bit. This yeah. is kind of the, the first one, I think. And it's a precursor to, to what he would accomplish eventually with Purple Rain from a you know guitar solo point of view. But I'll just finish my review of this song by saying that I kind of realized something interesting to me when I listened to this recently. And that's when I think of this song now, I think it sums up Prince's career in many ways, especially when, when you think about what he's singing about. You know, it, it's interesting that the 24-year-old kid from Minneapolis singing this at that point in his career, knowing what we now know eventuated in the 10, 20, 30 years following this piece of music. I think that's really interesting from the point of view that back then he was so adamant that freedom was such an incredibly valuable concept and it was something to struggle for and to fight for. And really his career ended up, you know, the the, the movie emulated real life in a way. So, Mm, well, you know, he would have been like 10 to 15 when all the the main civil rights movement was going on. Mm. So it's obviously a big part of his upbringing. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. So, you know, the Martin Luther King, the the Jim Crow, the Dorothy Parkers, all of that must have been a part of his makeup. So, and it comes out in parts in this song. But with that, let's go to something entirely different from civil rights, social consciousness and political and personal freedom to track number nine, Lady Cab Driver. Lady cab driver. Screwing the cab lady. (laughs) (laughs) You've got to get your frustrations out somehow. And with that, I'm going to take this to Captain to open up his thoughts of Lady Cab Driver, the song. Okay. You start with this streetscape sound and Prince is there. But this song, what a funky track this is. That beat, that bass line, the guitar. It's got everything. This is another long track, bit over 8 minutes, 8.15. Oh, there's so many good things. I love the breakdown at 2.50 with the bass and the guitars. That's too funky. And this song's 
Even though this is a pretty electronic track, it's pretty synth light. There's not that much synth on this track, I think, compared to some of the other tracks on this album. 309, that part, I, I could live without that. The funniest thing about is that is in the background, you can clearly hear the mattress springs going up and down. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I don't need to hear that. See, that, that's more of that, you know, really explicit things. It's like just so, so obvious. It's like, come on, you don't need to go that far. But he did. Okay, so that's fine. And like a few of his songs from the early years, this is not a track you're going to play when your grandmother's over to visit. <laughs> that's for sure. It's one of the songs that when it comes on, you just conveniently fade it before that part yeah, comes on. <laughs> yeah, but uh, some of the stuff in this song, you know, 427, you've got all the all the banging for Jesus. You know, that's just great. It's just it's just drums, bass, and guitars, and seagulls for some reason, because that's <laughs> obviously part of it. Who knows what he was doing that day? But five minutes in, it's time for a synth solo and some some bells ringing, and of course, you all know how many times the bells rang, right? Seven, seven, of seven. Of course, of course, it's seven. <laughs> Ah, uh, 5.40, you've got the big synth solo and guitar solo too. And then 6.10, you go back to the breakdown. Sounds like he's washing his mouth out because that's, yeah. <laughs> that, that's what was happening. Sort of like that. Uh, not much else happens for like the last two minutes. You get the chorus again and that's about it. You fade back into the, the streetscape sounds. But uh, I've just always, anytime I think of this song, I just think of it as the Banging for Jesus song because that's, that's what's happening. <laughs> Because he, he says, you know, this one's for Yosemite Sam. And you, know, you know how it goes. I don't need to say it all. That's all. Oh, I should say, I, I like this song. <laughs> Mostly. For the most part, I like this song. Just to confirm, yeah, you, you're a fan of this track. Man, this is some, again, some nastiness. Street funk personified. You know, in the history of funk music, Rick James came out with street songs back in 81, I think, from memory. And Prince came out with this in 82 and just slapped Rick silly because this stuff is street <laughs> funk personified. By the way, Street Songs is a great album and I recommend it to anyone who's listening if you haven't heard it. But back onto Lady Cab Driver, this is way too funky. This is just way too funky. And for a white guy listening to this, I couldn't sit still when I put <laughs> this on. I mean, I was just, you know, listen to this before you go into a job interview or an important meeting or a presentation or if you're going to shoot some hoops or anything like that, and you are going to own, you're just going to own everything. Getting you're going to walk up, Getting psyched up for this job interview with Banging for Jesus. Here we go. This is for the tourists at Disneyland. <laughs> That's right. So if you're going for a job with, with Disneyland or at Disneyland, <laughs> this is the song to listen to. No, this is absolutely brilliant. I mean, honestly, I am going to do that just for effect. I'm going to listen to this before like a really important business meeting or something one day and just walk into the room with like a perm and hands in pockets and thinking, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the business. <laughs> the stuff. And then you've got that really, really tight but sloppy Prince drumming. And I mean that in the best possible way because no one drums like him. He's got this really uncanny ability to make drums sound his own. I know that sounds odd. It's the only way I can describe it is... He's got his own pocket. Yeah, I can't claim to recognize his playing. Like, if you played me a drum track played by 10 different people and one of them was Prince, I'm not saying that I could identify him. But knowing that it's him playing this, I can hear kind of his feel on other instruments comes through in his drum playing. I think that's probably the best way I can describe it. He's got this touch. He's got a touch on the keys. He's got a touch on the on everything he touches. It's just a little bit off. It's like, and this is what I love about Prince music, and this isn't really in my review, but it just got me thinking. He often just does things. He just does things musically. <laughs> 
Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's almost like he doesn't overthink, doesn't tend to overthink things as a musician. I mean, I'm sure he does in the studio, but when it comes to something as primal as playing the drums, there's just something that comes out of him and, and it's really cool to hear. So you've got that nice, tight, sloppy drumming by Prince with this chicken scratch grease underneath and this start-stop bass line and the pops are way too nasty, all leading up until the, that last two and a half minute bit where it's just a funk freak out. The guitar rips rips the song apart and that's all i've got to say about it this is just too funky you can't stop you can't stop jamming to this song the minute it comes on nothing else to say uh player (laughs) yeah i totally agree again the notes i've got listed here is the beat it's the star of the track you know in our review of 777 toe jam talked about the clap sound being really necessary in that track Mm. and again it's really necessary here because it gives it the ability for prince to really stretch out with the snare fills all the way throughout the song, which gives it its spice. And having those live drums and that nice percussive bass intertwined is very funky. You've got the taxi cab theme reoccurring from the last album again here, which is nice. But I've got to ask the lyric that bothers me the most is the take me to your mansion line. If you recited in a mansion, would you be driving cabs for a living? <laughs> I think it's it's more like it's a fantasy. Like um, Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a fantasy of prob- it, yeah. He knows she probably just lives in a small little unit somewhere. He's like, you know, take me to your mansion. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's the, it's the fantasy of it. And I've also got here on my notes the same thing, the squeaking noise, the high-pitched squeaking noise. I don't know if that's intentional or not, but um, it's kind of... mattress springs. Yeah. It's got to be. The back seat of the car, yeah. It's kind of yeah. grating. Oh, not mattress, yeah, seat. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's a great song. He should bring this back in the live set. It's awesome track. I don't think he'll sing a fair few of the lyrics, though. Oh, he can just do the instrumental in the sampler set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just press that button button for two seconds, it's done. Everyone will lose it, and then he'll yeah. go back to... Um, Alphabet Street, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, with that, I'm pretty keen to hear what Toe Jam's got to say about this. Lady Cab Driver, Toe Jam's uh, opinion. I mean, this is just it's just funk. It's like, I think you said street funk, and I think that sums it up really well. Captain said there's not much synth in this. I think there's heaps of synth. I think the thing that makes it sound a little bit more organic is that there's a bit less Lin. It's mm. obviously a bit more, there's a bit more live drums going on there. And um, I think it might be the long version of America. I think on the credits, it's there's something credited as Prince playing the cake batter snare. And I get that same feeling here uh, in this. He's, he's just playing a snare drum and he's you know doing some really interesting things with it, uh, as MC was saying. So there's that cake batter snare all the way through, which is really cool. Gives it a bit more organic sort of sound. I love all little squirty little synth lines there's one that goes Uh, just little poppy little synth lines like that Uh, really cool and this is something he does a lot you've got this really hectic instruments there's all this hectic stuff going on the instruments but then on top of that he's playing this real singing this sort of sweet deadpan seductive lady cab driver you know he's, he's trying to be all seductive but he's got all this crazy stuff going on and around his brain i've read the word love sign here the song love sign i think love sign is kind of similar in the melody of the vocal but yeah you know he's feeling cold and he's feeling lonely but you know i think deep down he just wants to root the lady and it <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's all it is it's primal you know you're gonna have to explain to the u.s audiences what that means <laughs> i think i think they can put one on one together <laughs> <laughs> At two minute two oh eight, you know, you think, oh, it's it's the breakdown section, but then out of nowhere, it's but da da That's cool. Little surprises that pop in your head. At two twenty three, you've got a double synth solo. You've got one in the left, one in the right. They're basically playing the same things, but they're slightly different, so they sort of complement each other, which is cool. Two fifty four, you get the classic Prince controversy kind of sounding guitars uh, in the left and right, jangling through that. And then at three ten, you've got the big uh, bed spring scenes, which is cool. I like the the bed springs. I think it adds atmosphere to it and adds the visual element to it again. 
And it's funny. It's I think the first time I heard that, I remember just pissing myself laughing because it's hilarious. You're not laughing at him. You're, you're laughing at that, okay, he's putting a, a screwing scene in a song with bed mattresses going off. It's hilarious. And I love the way he starts off real angry in that. And as he goes, he gets he calms down and he gets nicer and nicer and a bit more relaxed. And, oh, this one's for the tourists and this one's for the oceans, the sea and the sun and everything. You think, ah, oh, and this one's for love without sex. And it's like, well, too late for that. And then he finishes with a really cool line, one of my favorite Prince lyrics, uh, not knowing where you're going is galaxies better than having a place to go. I love that lyric because it's like, to me, it's, it's the ideal of freedom. And straight after that, you've got the birds and you've got the seashore sounds and, and you're talking about freedom in the last song. To me, that, that's sort of what it's all about. You know, you don't have to have everything planned out. To, it's, you know, you don't have a place to go, but that, that's a good thing because you never know what's coming up. There's always an opportunity coming up to take. So very deep lyric, I think. The best and, one of those is one of the last ones. It's, that's for the creator of man. Mm. That's the banging well, for Jesus. That's just it's in there. It's classic. It's classic. Can't take it out of there. <laughs> Four fifty. You got not, you got an actual proper breakdown this time. Big power chords, distorted guitars, playing a big long note. Da 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 da. Really cool. Uh, you got the grandfather clock, as Captain was saying. Seven. There's another. There's a cool little synth line, and I've just got to try and get it in my head. Ah, this is a funky little line. It only goes for a few minutes, uh, if that. Dun dun dun. Dun, 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 ba, ba. And then there's a cool little bit that goes. That's such a cool little bebop line. I love that. Every time it comes up, you know, when he wants to, he can just come up with these cool little lines. 542, you've got a big synth held. And, ah, oh, that's right. You've got this is the real Minneapolis synth section. Uh, you've got this big loud in one, one speaker, big long synth held. And then it follows up with this real fast guitar solo. And then he holds the synth again in the other speaker. And the other speaker, the guitar goes off again. I think that's some of his best guitar playing ever in that section because it's so raw and just comes out of him and he's not thought about it it's really it's a little bit messy but it's it's just so raw it's cool and then that whole section finishes with the big classic minneapolis synth brando you know straight from the time good stuff captain said you've got a big clearing the throat i I think it's a vomit and you've got elephant screams you know you've got everything in the song you've got elephants going towards the end there and it fades out nice and the guitars are just hanging there fading it out again it's like it's like automatic it's like dmsr it's like let's pretend we're married there's so much stuff going on in all of these songs i love these big long funk jams it's unbelievable the end There are synths in that song. You know, there's like little synth lines here and there, and there's yeah. a solo. But it's not like other songs where there's like there's synth oh, yeah, lines and there's lead yeah. lines, and then there's all the synth, all the chords as well. It's just it's light on the synth. I think. I mean, there is synth in it, obviously. Compared but a lot to the, less than on some other tracks. Well, yeah, I was going to say compared to the rest of the album, it would be just synth overload if every song had as much synth as on some of the other tracks. But the second last track of 1999, we're up to is. Number 10. Track number 10. All the critics love you in New York. The song is called All the Critics Love You in New York. Quite a long title in Prince's canon of uh, songs. And I'll start this one off because my review is fairly short and sweet. And of course, I'm going to bring up a live version of this track that's very dear to my heart. But back to the studio version of this song. 
Very unique sounding. It could only be Prince from the early 80s. I can't think of a single other artist that would make a song that sounds so incredibly specific. I know Captain doesn't like when I say, oh, it sounds like it's from 1982 or whatever, but this really invokes that era of music and in particular of of New York, I guess. I'm Um, fine when people say that, as long as it's not in a negative way. mm. It's like, oh, this song sounds like 1982. No, uh, yeah. Some 1982 songs sound unbelievably great. And this is one of them. (laughs) <laughs> so so then that's fine. Say it all mm. you want. And uh, it's got trippy guitar, really hypnotic drum and bass. And we've used that word before in this in this album review, hypnotic. But really, it's just a jam. And this is similar to Lady Cab Driver and also similar in parts to Automatic in that it's a piece of music that Prince has extended into a fuller work. And I find that interesting. He often does this. He finds a groove and he settles on it and he kills it to death. But then within... The that groove, he will add little tidbits here and there, textures, coloring. He'll play with the pitch. He'll play with the timing. He'll play with the timbre of the instrumentation, the vocals. And he does a lot of that here. The lyrics are quite cool because they describe a scene and they describe a feel and an attitude. And this is one of those attitude, those heavy on attitude and really strong on the confidence scale. Like when you think about what Prince is saying here, he doesn't give a damn what anyone thinks at the end of the day. Even though he's talking about, yeah, the critics love you in New York, my takeaway from this song is he's describing a scene that he doesn't really even consider himself part of, which is kind of interesting. Again, Prince, the social commentator from the early 80s. But it gets you into a a mood. It gets me into a a bit of a trance, like I said. And I have to finish my review by mentioning the live version that I witnessed in the flesh from um, Switzerland in Montreux 2009. But if you happen to... You had to be there. You had to be there. That's right. So you, all you can really do is dream. Is, is dream or listen to my review. 10 or 11 minutes of the most incredible guitar improvisation, completely total and utter amazing jamming on the band's part. It just takes this studio song into the stratosphere and just blows everyone's head off. It really is just unbelievable. Um, yeah, this is a great track. It's a good way to, to wind down I guess the the album keeps the funkometer high. And with that, take it away, player. This is the birth of the original Police Scanner. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I really like this song. Or Groove. It's just a groove, really, when you look at it. The verses are a little bit like a spoken monologue, backed by a relentless, funky beat. I love everything about this song, the bass, the guitar, the keys. It's also simple but really effective about being the critic's darling. And I really like how the track just fades in and it just fades out, like you're walking into some scene and experiencing something and then walking out of it, like a moment in time. You're just like passing by. (laughs) Yeah. It's like you, you know, you just sort of, yeah. I think that's really cool, and I also like how when Prince does this live, he personalizes it to the city he's performing in. I think that's really cool. That's touch. the best thing about the title of this song is like every place he goes, he can just change the name of the song, and then it's about that place, which is a yeah. such a cool thing. It is cool. All in all, it's a great track and a fan favorite. I don't know anybody that doesn't like this song. It's really good. All right, Toe Jam. What are your thoughts on all the critics? Uh, yeah, it's another long funky jam which I love. Purple music. This song smells of purple music. I like the fade in as well. I think the song for me, it's not really a song that has a story to it. It's just all these like little memes, like these little phrases and and little sentences that are just really cool and make you think. And and I think like MC was saying, this sort of air of confidence that he has, you know, some of the lyrics, I'm sure we've won, you know, you can dance if you want to. It's time for a new direction. It's time for jazz to die. 
Uh, just these like little short little phrases, you know, body don't want to quit, got to get another hit. It's just really cool, like all these little chants and things. The hippies get a, a good beating in this song, which I think is funny. Look at all you hippies, you aren't as smart as me. It ain't about the tripping, but the sexuality. That's the funkiest lyric ever. I love that. So cool. Take a bath, hippies. Um, they deserve it. <laughs> The bass, I've got here phono bass. The bass has a really interesting sound on it. It's kind of subby. Deadpan vocals again with hectic music in the background, similar to a lot of the other songs on this album. I like in the chorus the way everything's just sort of on the beat, you know, all the critics. It's all on beat one. And the bass as well is going ding, 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 ding. So everything's on the beat, just real straight, which is really cool. You've got this rim click that goes throughout pretty well the whole song. Click, 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 click. And that just runs the whole way through the song, which is cool. Just crazy sounds all over the place. Crazy guitar. There's parts in the song where the guitar sounds like it's on fire. And again, it's like that bit in the last song I was just talking about, where some of the runs he's doing, it just like... It comes and goes really quickly, and it's like he's possessed playing some of that stuff. Really cool. Hypnotic, that's the whole song. It's a hypnotic, cold, funky song. You've got this offbeat thing going all the way through, this... With this weird sound. I don't know what it is, some sort of keyboard sound. Very cool. They won't say that you're naive if you play what you believe. Another one of those lyrics. It's just hard to describe the song. It's like it's a big, massive collage of just all these bits that just all sort of fit together in a strange way. The only thing, there's maybe like a minute towards the end where it just sort of stays and doesn't really do much. I don't think it needs editing. Maybe there's just a bit of a dead space there at one point. I mean, it's bloody funky all the way through. Um, and I love the way the song finishes with, uh, you know, all the critics love you in New York, New York. New York, and it's just like, he only says the word New York, which is cool. Yeah, great song, and I think someone said it might have been play a good way to sort of close the album out. Obviously, it's not the last song, but it's a good summary of the whole album, um, so I'll leave it there. Captain. Well, now Uh-oh. I've just got to figure out all my <laughs> notes that Toe Jam just read. That's oh, impossible. This... You, you couldn't possibly have positive praise for this. We'll see. <laughs> well, hang on, hang on. All the critics love him in New York. Will all the peach and black critics love him? <laughs> <laughs> It's up to you, Captain. Don't let him down. <laughs> this song uh, it is my second favorite track on this album. Wow. Wow. I don't, it's great. When you guys went to New if when you guys went to New York, I reckon if I was going to New York, if I was on that plane, I'd just be listening to this song all the time. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> the song's actually about me. I'm a critic going to New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think we listened to it once. <laughs> No. Oh man, that would have been the answer. We were listening. We were listening to CeeLo Green non-stop. That's true. That's true. Uncensored <laughs> version. Uncensored. <laughs> it, it was the perfect song for that experience. Oh, it was the most therapeutic piece of music <laughs> I think I've ever listened to. <laughs> I'll never forget that song. Oh yeah, everyone said everything fades in, fades out. I mean, that's a cool thing right there to have a song fade in. That's not the first time he's done it though. Was it Horny Toad? No. Got to stop messing about. One of those faded in. That was good. Once again, great Lindrum programming, super funky synth work, great bass work, the occasional insane distorted guitar licks all over the place, but possibly the funkiest thing in this whole track, there's this funky little digital sound. I think Turjams mentioned this. It's probably a synth, but I don't know. And it's playing the offbeat for the whole track. Like, on the offbeat of every, like, one, two, three, four, there's this little sound, and it's just super cool. And then we've got that slightly dorky synth sound from uh, Delirious, but it's used 
moderately on this track. It doesn't get too annoying. It's okay here. If Jam read all my favorite lyrics from this song. Some of my favorite all-time Prince words are in this song. It's time for New Directions, time for Jazz to Die, fourth day of November, we need a purple high. That is excellent. And then insane, then insane guitar shredding. That's great stuff. And 256, you've got Body Don't Want to Quit, got to get another hit or hip, depends. Three minutes in, you know, we're halfway there. Slightly repetitive, but the groove is so good, it doesn't matter. And then you've got the lyrics of the hippies. Uh, you can dance if you want to. Oh, there's so many good lyrics in this song. And then 445, the police sirens. Good old Prince gets on the police scanner. That's just, just an all-time classic. And then we only had to wait, oh, what, about 14 years till its triumphant return on Chaos and Disorder. What song was it? Xanalee. It's Xanalee. Yeah. Okay, this song is oh, just under six minutes. 5.53 by my thing. And the bass line is exactly the same for the entire track, except for about two seconds at 5.36, where it's different. And because I listened to this a song a million times on headphones and it's always so strange when it gets to that point because it's been five minutes and 36 seconds of that same bass line all the way through and then just for a couple of seconds it's different and I really notice it I don't know if that's just me but this is a great song second favourite song on this album oh one more thing I'll say the album should have ended here is that too much of a hint what I think of the next track. It's a very minor clue. <laughs> <laughs> it should have ended there. That would have been the perfect end. Ten tracks, done. I, di- I actually disagree with you because this song needs... It's screaming out for a Prince uh, ballad, for a sexual what, chocolate album? bedroom show tune extraordinaire. You, ne- you need to come down after that, do you? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> a cigarette and a cold shower after <laughs> the next track, which is, of course, track number 11, International Lover. The last song on this mammoth double album, double LP, Four Sides of Purple Goodness from 1982. And we're at the last track. International Lover. Let's go deep on this one. So, to open up this review, the last song of 1999, the album. I think I should go first. Is Captain. (laughs) (laughs) This is your captain speaking. This This is your captain speaking. This is your pilot. Because we don't want to end on a downer, so I'll go first and just get it out of the way. How about that? This album review can be used as a flotation device (laughs) in in virtual cyberspace. Go ahead, Captain. This is really the only ballad on this album. And why, oh, why would you put this as the closing track? You know, it's no Purple Rain, I'll tell you now. To me, this is the absolute bomb on this album. It is a stinker. I even prefer listening to Automatic than this track. I don't like Automatic. Obviously, it's another prototype of the ballads to come in the following years, but this one is just so average to my ears. And for me, by far, the worst thing is, again, that dorky synth sound. It sort of fits on some of the funk tracks, but this is a ballad. You don't need that. It's like a circus. It's ridiculous. You know, it just it just kills the track, you know, like any sort of atmosphere, you know, there's zero chance of creating any sort of romantic mood with that retarded synth line, I swear. I think that's kind of deliberate though. <laughs> it's 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 not a comedy though. It's a, he's trying a to comedy. make a ballad. This song is purely oh, comedy. Every time it comes in, I'm just almost burst out laughing at how out of place it sounds on a track like this. Well that's what it's for. He's done his job. He made you laugh. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, God. I mean, there's a few classic things in this track. He says, am I qualified? Which got all over that tour, the Purple Rain tour. It was this whole big thing about am I qualified? He says, I will buy you diamonds and pearls. He said diamonds and pearls. Look, 10 years before the album came out and the song. There's a big clue there. He, he was planning He was planning it 10 years in advance. Now, there's some good screams. Yeah, 3.15, this track's done. And then there's just the talking. Oh. Now, overall, I think the whole airline theme is... It's fairly well executed, but I think if he only left this recorded a year or two later, it would have come off a lot better as he improved in you know songwriting and producing it. But like a, f- yeah, a few of his other early songs, this song is just a cringeworthy. It's... Oh, it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> So now you three go and tell me how great it is and what a nutcase I am for not liking it. I just can't believe you would say that because this is this song is hilarious. Like maybe I just don't get the joke. It's really funny. I mean, have you ever yes, laughed? It is funny, have you but have, I thought it was a ballad. Captain, have you ever laughed so hard that your ribs hurt to the point where you thought you actually broke one of them potentially? I, I have, have you, but not, not listening so to, to in other Well, in other words, let me rephrase the question. Have you ever watched Under the Cherry Moon? <laughs> I did laugh a bit in that movie. It can have the same effect. But again, you know, actually total off the topic, even watching Under the Cherry Moon, I didn't really laugh that much because I tried to watch it as a movie. Mistake number one. <laughs> Mistake number one. <laughs> but uh, maybe I just don't get the joke. I don't, this... know. I, don't, I don't get the mixing of comedy and ballad. I just don't understand that concept. And show tune. Yeah. Gershwin-esque. It's not Basketball Jones. You know, it's... Who? <laughs> I don't know what this song is. I think this is brilliant. This is... Oh, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. International Lover is the most criminally underrated ballad Prince has ever written. There's a reason it's underrated. No, I think it's uh. I think it's a stunning piece of work and the fact that it's tongue in cheek throughout the entire thing makes it all the more enjoyable to listen to this is like cotton candy it's nuts and i love the sense of humor i think it's really playful it's it's funny it's dripping of attitude it just oozes charisma and flair as much as it is he's totally phoning it in uh (laughs) but it's brilliant it's really really funny really really catchy melody's cool the grooves (laughs) i just i i laugh i literally laugh out loud listening to the song in parts and oh, all really? the, all... I, don't, I don't think it's like memorable at all. Yeah, it is. Oh, what's what's the word for it? It's not black humor, but it's it's dry. It's it's Prince. That's it's, what it is. It's it's really dry humor. Yeah. <laughs> what's the name of that New Zealand band that that do these comedy? Flight of the Concords. Flight of the Concords. Yeah, if this was Flight of the Concords, everyone would be like, "Oh, this is the funniest song." Yeah. Yeah. Actually, no, because like, they do have some ballad comedy, and I don't particularly like those songs, and I do like most of their stuff. Like, to me, I... I just don't get this comedy ballad idea. It, it just doesn't work for I me. I guess it just depends on your sense of humor. For example, w- one of the funniest lines to me is one of the first lines, and it's so dry, I can understand people not laughing out loud, but I just, I get a, a smirk comes over my face when I hear it. It's really early on, even before the, the song really gets going, and he says something like, may I have this dance? Or <laughs> it's just so cheesy. <laughs> it's like cornball. You know, before he even gets in, gets his Mac on, describing... He's basically playing James Bond, basically. 
Prince's 007 version of 007, you know. It's pretty funny. May I have this dance becomes your seat cushion maybe used as a flotation device to we may be expecting a few turbulence along the way. I love the incorrect grammar there. It's Mm. just hilarious. It's so, so... It's like a kid in the studio with all of his toys out in front of him thinking, how far can I push this concept of, in a way, it's Prince, I don't want to overthink the song, but I think there's a subversive element to it. It's one of the rare occasions where Prince really lets his guard down and has a lot of fun with a lot of this sort of, with the themes of sexiness, love and getting it on and basically getting in a pants is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Turning on his woman who's flying the seduction 747. I mean, it's so, it's so ridiculous. Like really, the seduction 747. Maybe I just need to go back and listen to this song as a comedy song. <laughs> and it'll be oh a totally different experience. It's really funny. Play out of Toe Jam. Take it away. Whichever one of you enjoys the song more. I pretty much agree with, with you. A big carousel ballad, a Do Me Baby 2.0. And I can imagine him you know, listening back to Do Me Baby and going, that's actually pretty cheesy. I wonder if I can cheese it up even further. <laughs> um, and I reckon this is actually better than, than Do Me Baby. Interplay, instruments in the background. Forget all the lyrics and stuff. The interplay going on is really cool in all of these sort of um, ballads he does. The synth in the chorus, Captain was saying it's like a circus. Yeah, I agree. I, I said it's a carousel sort of sound. It's just such. It's Love. just that dorky synth sound, like the one from Delirious, yeah. and it doesn't fit on a song like this. And he, but then and he really again, hands if it's a comedy, up, yeah. yeah. And he hands up the vibrato on it, you know. Yeah. Cool. I love the way each verse starts with this big darling, baby. <laughs> cool stuff. Um, who who is really he mimic? Cool he's he's mimicking a style of singing, isn't he? It's I yeah. can't put my finger on it, and I don't know what era of show business it is, but it, it just reminds me of the show tunes, maybe from what the thirties or forties, maybe even the f- early fifties. Yeah, there's something yeah. strange there. Anyway, um, there's a really cool vocal part where he goes, um, "I can tell by the look," and he hits this perfectly pitched high note. Um, <laughs> Just like, and he does it later in, uh, in the song Adore as well. Um, I think similar that's, kind of thing. That's the castration scene that you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, the control over that is just really good. He hits all those notes perfectly. Um, okay, pun central section. You know, I won't go too fast. I've got plenty of gas. We're going around the world. This is fully equipped. Loss of cabin pressure. Uh, you drop down to apply more. Activate. Extinguish. In the event of this, you know, observe the sign. Turbulence. It's just, it's pun central the whole way through. It's classic. Um, I love the he way. He sat there for hours just writing down every yeah. possible thing he could think of. Yeah. I'm going to get all of those into this one song. Yeah. And, and let, let's, be fa- let's be real here. I mean, who hasn't been on a plane and you get the real sexy, you know, stewardess? And, uh, you know, I can imagine him being in that situation and going, oh, I, I've got an idea for a song here. So I love the way the song builds through that section and, and, duh, 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 and then it, the volume drops and then he's back into the, the puns again. Uh, really cool. Obviously starts getting it on at 5.08. The bass starts walking down as they make their final approach. Um, <laughs> you know, get your arms in the locks position. Um, there's a little noise he does with his vocals that sounds like Hannibal Lecter. At one point he does the, <laughs> oh, I can't do it. You know, the Hannibal Lecter sound that he makes, you know, <laughs> licking his lips. He does that sound at one point. And then obviously at 5, 5.35, you know, the big climax of the song, literally and symbolically. Uh, and he screams through that climax, welcome to satisfaction. And then the funniest part of the whole song is the fact that he starts falling asleep or she starts falling asleep, you know, uh, remain awake until the, the aircraft has come to a complete stop. I think it's brilliant. I reckon if this was 
done by someone like Flight of the Concords today, this would be huge. This would be hilarious. But it's kind of stuck there right at the end of this old 1982 album. And it's a great ballad. Great way to finish the album. Well, well, well. Player, it's all up to you now. Yeah, I'm the international lover. Uh, this is... <laughs> international Jimmy player. <laughs> I agree. This is Dimmy Baby-esque with all the plane analogies. It's trying to be one of these big ballads, but comes off a little bit short. I think it's still enjoyable to listen to, though, but I do say it's second tier to the Ultimate Prince ballads. Even Prince doesn't revisit this one anymore, so... Yeah, he hasn't played this in a long time. But overall, I think it's creative and enjoyable to listen to, but yeah, it's a bit it's a bit of a weird one to close out an album. So, yeah, it's it's cool for what it is, but it does have the humour in it. Uh-huh. Hmm, what a massive ending to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Tojim and I going like nuts and Captain and Player thinking, hmm, yeah. what is this? What is this strange cartoonish end to 1999? Well, with that, we have reached the conclusion, the end of our 1999 album review. It has taken a long, it has taken a very long time to get Six here. Six years in the making. <laughs> and, Seriously, uh, yeah, it would have been at least it's probably three or two four or three years, years ago, ago when we yeah. first tried to record it. Exactly. I think it was just after the Aussie tour. Yeah, we tried right. to do it not long after the Aussie tour, and none of us, we were right. all just princed out. <laughs> that's right. Wow. Yeah. It's been a long time in the making, this one. Yes, to quote a, a line out of, out of one of these songs, there were a few turbulence along the way. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we've landed in satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> Don't speak too soon. Well, we hope, we hope we have, and we hope you guys have enjoyed this. We've it's enjoyed gonna, recording it. rate it. Uh, rate it. Rate. <laughs> I thought you meant rate it, like R A I D. Need like a final thoughts, Jerry Springer. Yeah. <laughs> Thought of the day. I can't remember, but all I'm thinking about is Jerry Springer right now. Um, Take care of yourself and each other. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Jerry Springer in like ten years, but I still remember the end of the show. That's so funny. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, look, with that, what what can we say? Ratings? Well, I'm not going to rate it because I, uh, I gave that up a long time ago. Let me just babble something about this album. This album is one of the most famous Prince albums. The track 1999 is probably more famous. The album is up there, though. And I think the songs on this album generally are very good. There's a few I don't like, but that's that's just my purely personal preference. It's a very good album. Rate it. But, but I think the... I, I said this in part one, and it's just as evident in part two. The second half of this album is more... I think more than any previous album you know before this you get you know the window in you, you see some of the stuff that's going on in his brain like you listen to automatic and you know some of these tracks some of the stuff that goes on you just think okay that's that's what he thinks but then that comes down to the topic we said before is that prince or is that prince persona or somewhere in between you don't know is he really that much of this deviant <laughs> i don't know is he really you know just that perverse I don't know. Or that's just the image that he was going with at the time. Anyway, rating this album out of 10, ooh, I'm going to say 8.6. Ooh, okay. It, it's high, but it's not as high as it could be because there's a few tracks I'm just like, meh. But it's, it's, it's definitely up there in the top iconic Prince albums with probably only, you know, Purple Rain ahead of it. And, you know, like popularity-wise, you probably got, what, Purple Rain? 
Diamonds and Pearls. What else? Does anyone Time know the, the most popular albums? Yeah, Sign of the Times. That's probably the most critically acclaimed. Yeah. There's not that really many huge Prince albums. There's lots of, you know, lesser albums. Musicology was pretty big. That sold a lot, but that's mostly because he put it in the ticket price. No, I mean, this is this is certainly one of the biggest albums he's ever put out. And it's a double album, so it's a lot of material. It's when he started blowing up on MTV. Yeah, I mean, easily one of the most historic things he's ever recorded. And think about how much material off this album he's played live. At least half the album he plays on a regular basis. Toe Jam, what are your overall thoughts in summary? Well, I'm giving this 10 out of 10. Oh, um, yeah. I, I thought, Love you, Six I thought you might. Well, yeah. you knew I would, didn't you? I think Love Six was the only other album I gave a 10. I think this one's better. This one is a, an 11 out of 10. It's my favorite album of all time. Even today, it has this sound to it that is just totally unique to Prince, totally unique to this album. Every song is so dense and full with stuff. I love the big, long jams. I think every song except maybe one or two is like, you know, over five minutes at least. And you've got everything. You've got the dark Prince. You've got funny Prince. You've got pop Prince. Uh, you've got every instrument featured and, you know, you've got at some point. Prince. <laughs> <laughs> You've got amazing drum work, you've got amazing guitar work, you've got synths and Lindrum programming. I mean, everything is just juiced to the absolute max on this whole album. It's not like, you know, you get some albums where you go, oh yeah, that, that song really features this and this song really features... This album is like, every song has amazing stuff going on it from everywhere. And... I think it's just brilliant. I can't imagine him ever recording anything like this again, and I'm just glad I've got it. It's it's an amazing album. 10 out of 10. Best album of all time. What? Yeah. <laughs> By anyone? I think so. Wow, this has been worth it. I mean, the three and a half yeah. years it's taken to record this show, for you to, to call this <laughs> I think for easily, Toe Jam, yeah. to name I think, this. Look at it, you've got 1999, absolute classic. Little Rod Covert, classic. Delirious, classic. Let's pretend we're married. Maybe not a classic, but a bloody awesome <laughs> song. Um, DMSR, absolute classic. Automatic, second favorite song of all time, potentially. Something in the water, crazy stuff. Free, I'm free's the only one that's like, eh. Lady Crab Driver, classic Prince song. All the critics, classic. International Lover, great comedy. I mean, there's, there's hardly a misstep in this entire album. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, that is true. That is true. And to think about the amount of time he was spending in the studio at this point in his career is also absolutely nuts. We know that he was in there, you know, night and day. Would have been a lot of all-nighters there. And this was the... Yes, sir, he was definitely masturbating. Um, we, you know, we, we know how much material was recorded and this is really the creme de la creme of the era. Of course, we could talk about side projects and other related artists and unreleased material and, and there's all sorts of other tangents we could go into. But really, yeah, I guess Toe Jam, it is an incredible piece of work. When you think about the, the breadth of the material and the, and the quality of the songs, it's pretty remarkable. I will say, though, that there are other albums we've reviewed that easily match the intensity of the of the material and I think the songwriting. And in my opinion, this is not his greatest album. Uh, I won't rate it because I find that difficult to do. But I will say that, I mean, it's kind of obvious. Everything that I'm saying, most people are probably thinking at the moment. But it's easily one of the most important albums that he's released. It's really the one that, that put him on the map in a way. I mean, Purple Rain made him a superstar, but 1999 
This was the step in between. Yeah, this gave him... From this underground controversy guy. Yeah, yeah, because controversy is still underground. That's an underground album. Album. He's not a mainstream artist yet. And Purple Rain, is a superstar. So this kind of pushes Prince into the mainstream fold and it, he crosses over. He takes that first step to becoming a crossover artist in a way that um, many other artists around him, especially people that were in the from the funk world, just weren't doing at the time. There are exceptions, but he was definitely at the forefront of that movement. And so, yeah, from that point of view, this is a really critical album. It's one of those albums where everything changed after it came out kind of thing. And obviously, in 1982, at this stage in the game, at that point in his career, it was the biggest piece of work he'd ever done. It's been called his magnum opus. It's arguable whether Sign of the Times or Love Sexy hold the claim to that sort of critical esteem. But until today, you know, 30, what, 33 years later, still holds up. I mean, you can be in a, in a nightclub somewhere listening to the latest hits. You can be at a, at a house party. I can think of a number of situations where you listen to, to music, whether it's house music or dance music or modern funk music. I mean, Bruno Mars and Mark Ronton have just come out with a song called Uptown Funk. And as cool and catchy as that piece of music is, it doesn't hold a candle to the material on this. I mean, this is the original. This is the original Minneapolis funk. The unfiltered, unwatered down, unwashed, uncleansed, dirty, filthy, disgusting funk. And it's... <laughs> And it's and it's and it's on wax for everyone for anyone to listen to as as often as they want. What you were saying before about crossover. I mean, Purple Rain was really the crossover, you know, to rock and pop to a degree. But this album, all this stuff you just said, was based mostly on the absolute genius pop song writing ability for 1999 and Little Red Corvette. I think if it wasn't for those two tracks, this album would have made so much less impact to all those white people. It would be a more underground album, yeah. Yeah, and Purple Rain wouldn't have had then even as much impact as it did, I think. Because I think it was those two singles which really got the white people come, you know, come running and listening. And then start listening, you know, listening to the rest of the album. They're like, oh, what is this funk music all about? And then he went to rock <laughs> straight after that. Actually, you can imagine that. You can imagine someone like hearing 99 and Little Rock and Vatican. Oh, they're, they're really, you know, they're real popping pop tunes, you know. I'm going to yeah. go grab this Prince album. And then, you know, the rest of the album is either pretty dark or pretty no, out I'm there or pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, International Lover and stuff. You can imagine someone just going like, what the hell is this? But that's a good thing as well, you know. It's a good thing because it's like you're expecting something, but he takes it further. And this is actually, now that I think about it, I'm just looking at the artwork. Uh, I've got the vinyl in front of me. And I got this really eerie, really spooky, just sensation. I was looking at it and I was thinking about the time, the era, the point in Prince's career. You know, I'm looking at the back cover and the lyrics to 1999 are on the back and and just the, the artwork and the whole look and feel of this album, of this record. I've just opened up one of the one of the sleeves and there's there's a picture of him and the band and there's something about something apocalyptic something really futuristic about the the look and feel as well you know like it's an era that came and went but it seems to stick in the conscious mind way more than a lot of things that came after this and it got me thinking about something just listening to you guys talk yeah, talk about this. And something I haven't thought of before, which is, is this the last time that Prince was creating work that was, to a large degree, 
what I'm trying to say is it, it wasn't, it was still kind of, he was just wearing his heart on his sleeve, you know, like it was all, it was unmanipulated to a degree. I mean, he was manipulating sounds and, and his look and all the rest of it and his image and, and the, the way the sounds came across. But I guess what I'm saying is it was still, I don't I think know, he had I know t- what you're saying. I I, saying. Yeah, I'm trying to say he didn't have, t- at this point in the game, at this point in his career. He's still trying to prove something. Exactly. Yeah. He's still hungry. He's still proving something and he's still pushing the envelope, but not just to be salacious. He's pushing the envelope musically. He's pushing the envelope with his drum programming. He's pushing the envelope with his look, with his thematic content, with his stage show. He's pushing the, the, the envelope with his attitude. This is really a guy who is stretching well, you, you, himself in the studio incredibly and producing amazing results. And he's still doing it before he becomes a superstar where he has to take into account many other things outside of just being an artist. So in a way, is this Prince's purest artistic work? I don't know. I think so. I've said this. I might have said this in part one. To me, it's like everything before this is leading up to this album and everything after it is a reaction to this album. Like even Purple Rain, like, you know, it's it's sort of a half, I want to say documentary, but like it's sort of like, oh, here's a portrait of the life of Prince kind of thing, the life of the kid, whereas really it's a portrait of what he was doing at this time. And, you know, after that, you got around the world today, oh, it's artistic Prince and then it's experimental Prince and then it's, you know, love sexy Prince. But it's all like a reaction against this, you know, this moment, I feel. Mm, but this is the original Prince that made yeah, exactly. everything, everything else possible in a way. Yeah. Interesting. Well, this for me is one of the best party albums ever made. It's filled with hits, funk tracks, minimal ballads to slow the pacing of the album down, no filler, virtually no skippable tracks with the exception of free maybe. And even then, it's a decent cut. I think it's very hard to fault this album and it's one of the first that got me into Prince. So it has some sentimental value there. So in all in all, I'd have to give it 9.5 to 10 out of 10 myself. That's not to say it's without its flaws, but I know when I put this album on, I'm going to be put in a good mood. I'm going to be in for a fun time. And it's an album where he starts to polish his Minneapolis sound. The limb drum is more predominant. He's layering seven or eight overhomes on top of each other to make the sound really thick in the synths. The bass is slappy and funky. So yeah, this is one of my all-time favorite Prince albums. Oh, another nine and a half or ten. Yeah, it's very close. Go on, give it a ten. (laughs) <laughs> All right, I'll give it t- <laughs> 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10. What did I say? I said 8.6. 8.6? Yeah, there's a few things I don't like that much. But is this the purest Prince album, you know, before he got, you know, influenced by other things? Maybe I Dirty Maybe it's... Dirty Mind is the purest Prince album, only because it's mm. it didn't have he didn't have an opportunity to toy with it too much. It was just but you know, I'll demos. I'll add to what ToeJam might think that Love Sexy is also one of those albums where he just, he doesn't care. He's doing it for him and for the, you know, the artistic reason of doing it, not because this album's got to have a single and make money and before you got influenced by all that other stuff. I think Love Sexy is a pretty pure album as well. Yeah, it could be. I mean, some people, I'm sure some people would argue 1999 is not pure, as pure as Love Sexy because here he was trying to he was still making a name for himself, whereas with Love Sexy, he just went out on a limb and, and did what his creative spirit and his spiritual side just mm. told him to do, whereas who knows? It's it's interesting. Who knows? <laughs> who but knows? I think this speculate. is... Yeah, because yeah, Purple Rain is more obviously aimed at getting that target market, getting the money. Let's just remember, when Prince was putting Purple Rain together, he had no idea what the reaction was going to be like. So mm. even though we often say, yeah... Purple Rain was just this commercial thing. 
wait a second, let's check our thinking there. That could no, have we, flopped. Yeah, and, no and one knows before. I've, I've yeah. said this before, but like, I think the momentum from the two or three albums before Purple Rain, like, he could have put out a poker album that year and it would have exploded. <laughs> um, thankfully, he didn't, and he put out a great album in Purple Rain. But that's the impression I get. Nah. See, as much as over the years Prince complained about Warner's, you know, restricting his output at certain times, the momentum up to Purple Rain and then through Purple Rain could not, the timing, you know, for everything couldn't have been better. You know, with the movie came out and the soundtrack came out and all the singles yeah, came out, it was just non-stop train from yeah, it Chinatown. Like it just kept perfect, going. Perfect storm. It was. It was just... And then you had all the, the Vanity Six and the Time and Apollonia just on all the other side things. It was just insane. And But I, I don't think the timing could have been any better. You know, I think if it was slowed down, if Warner said, oh, no, nah, hang on, wait another six months until you do this. Six months is a long time. Mm. Or, or the jigsaw. Of someone to be, you know, out of the spotlight, especially when they've got that momentum for the last few albums. Yeah, everything's and then, and, and then it's like, oh, yeah, just go and have a rest. I don't think so. <laughs> no, no, yeah, everything it all worked. worked. It's funny yeah. you say that, like, coming up to nearly six months after artificial age. That's, that's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry, something big is coming. <laughs> <laughs> Something's in the works, as always. Well, with that, it brings us to the end of our Mammoth 1999 album review. It was so big, we had to split it up into two parts. It was so big, it took us three and a half years. <laughs> and many, 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 many hours. <laughs> and who knows, this could be the album review, the Peach and Black episode that gets us worldwide fame, recognition, and breaks us through to the MTV market. <laughs> I can't believe this is done. Thank you for all of our dedicated followers, our dedicated listeners, and our casual listeners, the people that stop by uh, once in a while to listen to their to episodes that they feel like listening to and getting our thoughts on. This is the end of the 1999 review. We will be uploading Purple Rain review. Last one. We can say that. And that's going to be an interesting show. We can't wait for you to hear that. Toe Jam was yelling out last one there in the background. I'm not sure. I meant it... last normal Prince album. Yeah. That's true. That was the last normal There's Prince a few album. Other things we had planned. <laughs> yeah, with that, any special announcements? Uh, anything at all? Well, uh, Cheap Face will be on tour again soon. We're down in Sydney soon in, in oh, March, fantastic. I think. Oh. Do you know what venue you're going to be playing? Uh, I do, but I'm not going to say it because it could change. Yeah, that's about it. Thank you for your attendance <laughs> in, in listening to today's show. That's about it. Bum, 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 bum.